that was a very defining moment when I could focus on the people and what they were going to and knowing that I was on their side because they were able to let go. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate and we will see you in keystone colorado best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe fairless this is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today amy lingenfelter how you doing amy i'm doing great joe thanks for having me on well i'm glad you're doing great and it's my pleasure a little bit about amy she went from hairdresser to real estate millionaire she bought her first property at age 24 which was a 12-unit apartment building. She has been involved in 147-unit syndication, currently negotiating her first mobile home park, has flipped over 24 houses, and is based in Portland, Oregon. With that being said, Amy, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So our business is Arm Solutions, which is Amy Rome and our son, Max. He's 12. And just like you said, our focus is on real estate in wholesaling, fix and flip, but we have now started repositioning ourselves into multifamily and doing owner carry financing over the last several years. I will say that my first property was a condo and not a 24 unit. I wish it had been a 24 (laughs) unit, but it was a condominium. Cool. Well, you mentioned the owner carry part. I also want to talk about that 12 unit and the 147. So we got a lot of things to talk about. You mentioned the owner carry part. Are you doing owner carry on larger apartment communities or is that on the single families? The owner carry finance is on single family. And we also have a unique twist on that where in our part of the country, I would say the median price point, I'm not exactly sure right now. It's probably around 425,000. So it's hard to do owner carry in that price point, at least we haven't found success with it. So we started a few years ago doing fix and flip and owner carry in the mobile home sector. So we have found a lot of success with that. What's an example of in the mobile homes doing owner carry? Will you give just maybe a, a specific deal? Sure. So a specific deal is I had a property that I had met the owner and he was having problems keeping up with his taxes and the taxes were still nominal on this mobile home it was in a park and it was several years before and i had made him an offer and then he tried to find somewhere else to move and he couldn't because he couldn't find anything else that he could afford at the time so he said amy thank you very much for your offer i'll keep your phone number you were really kind how about if i contact you if things change and i always like to leave 
any relationship in a win-win and open-ended. So several years went by, he contacted me and he said circumstances had changed. He needed to move out of state. Was I still interested in buying his home? So we purchased it for $3,000. We put in $15,000. So all in, even with park rent and what have you, I think it was around $20,000. And we sold it for $68,000. And we sold it on a contract. So we took a percentage down, I think it was like 10 or $15,000 down. And now we get monthly payments for the rest. And I think on that one, it's 20 years. We have a note on it for 20 years. And I think the interest rate is around eight and a half percent. So that's a specific deal. And on the down payments, does that down payment get applied towards their principal balance? Or is that basically a cover charge to get into the arrangement? No, no, absolutely. It comes off of the acquisition price. Creative deal engineering is something that we're practicing a lot and a technique that I'm using that actually is outside of the mobile home component is purchasing air rights. Okay. Tell us more, please. It's kind of an interesting technique that I learned from a friend here locally, and it has some really good upsides. So sometimes when a property is in probate or even isn't in probate and someone dies, there's heirs, sometimes a single heir, sometimes multiple heirs. And if a property is distressed, which is usually the area that we buy properties are distressed properties, I will reach out to the heir and say, it might be you, Joe, I might say, Joe, by any stretch of the imagination, are you thinking that you might want to sell this property? And maybe you live in a different state, and it's cumbersome and challenging for you to do what needs to be done to get the property to market. And you could say, well, Amy, yeah, I'm actually thinking about that. I could say, well, I could purchase your air right. So we've done that now a multitude of times, and it has a really nice residual upside. In what way does it have a nice upside compared to if you just bought it outright from them and not their rights to own it? Excellent question, Joe. We put it through probate if it needs to go through probate. I give them a stipend of money to be able to control it. But not only are you controlling the property, you're controlling everything else that comes with it. So a recent acquisition that we had with air rights, it came with cars, all the things inside of the property. Plus, there's an ongoing pension. There was a stock account the savings account, the checking account, and all of that is then something that I become the heir to. And I find that with the tax liability, my experience has been that it's really nominal, the taxes that I'm paying for all of that. So you get much more than just the property. How many times have you done that? I've done that over four times now. Wow. And if there's money in a bank account or with the stock market, wouldn't they price that into the price that they're charging you for their air rights? No, absolutely not. What I have found are that distressed properties with relatives that might have no interest in, generally speaking, this kind of situation comes when the family members are disconnected, no longer really have good relationships. So they're like, I don't want a problem and I don't want anything to do with that problem, the property or anything going on with the estate. And often, not often, but I have found out of these times that we've done it now that they don't really even know all that there is to know. They're like, there could be a lot of debt 
and you take that risk. But usually I do enough research ahead of time to figure out if it's going to be beneficial or not. So they don't always know what's there. They're just like, oh my gosh, my brother died and I know his house is a big hot mess. And I don't have the interest of coming from Florida to Oregon to deal with it. So if you want to buy my property and give me this property and give me a little bit of money, fine, Amy, if you want that kind of job, have it. And then sometimes along the way, I discover, wow, didn't know that there was this stock account worth this or there was this pension worth this and all of that. So it's been very fun. Yeah. Out of those four, what's been the most profitable? I would say the one that I'm in right now so far has been the most profitable. I haven't closed it yet, so I can't tell you the final number, but it looks as if from the beginning to the end, we're probably coming up at about $140,000 to $160,000, and I didn't fix the property. So can you just give us some rough numbers, what you agreed to buy the air rights for, and then where is that profit coming from? Is it all property or is there some savings account that this person had that is a hundred thousand dollars just love to learn more sure so i acquired the air rights for one thousand dollars and then i said that i would give them some more monies but it was not a specific amount because i couldn't say if there would even be any more monies in it i have to work myself through the process and working myself through the process. I didn't, you know, you have to figure out if there's any debt with the estate. So I just said I could give them some more money along the way and at the end. So there was a stock account that had $36,000 in it. I just recently sold the house. So it was a fixer with all kinds of problems. So keep that in mind. But I sold the house for $160,000. And all I did was clean the house out and take a tree down out of the backyard before we marketed it. And my husband's a realtor. So the house was 160, but there was still a mortgage on it. And there's been debt and things that I've had to settle along the way. But now I think there's going to be a residual pension as well. So you control all of that. And then once the probate's closed, then the end amount. So when I tell you 150, 140 to 160,000, that would be everything at the end after all of the bills have been paid out. Where do you go to identify potential people to reach out to about buying their air rights? Generally speaking, if people have died or this particular property, the one that we're talking about right now, I had actually met the person several years before they died. They had a terminal diagnosis and they were interested in selling it to me at the time. But I think with the prognosis of their illness and everything else and the house is in such disrepair, we kept in contact every six months or so. But I never made the acquisition simply because he wasn't able to work the process of his illness Mm -hmm. along with all that needed to be done to sell it to me outright. So he died. I knew that there were some heirs and I knew that the house was in such distress that it might be a challenge for them to do the fix. So I reached out to them. If you didn't have a pre-existing relationship with someone, but you were looking to do it again, is there a service or a database that you would recommend going to to look for other opportunities? I spend a lot of time. Our best is going through probate records. Okay. And we don't use a database. I use my husband. (laughs) He's a good sleuth. And where does he find the probate records? In our local 
court system. I know that you can buy air rights and that it's a legal thing to do in almost every state, to my knowledge. Okay. But I know that since we're in the Oregon market, he goes through the probate records in the Oregon market. And often, I think for your listeners, if there's somebody that dies and maybe the person is out of state or not in the same town, that would be a good indicator and a place to look. Okay. And just as a aside, when you said air rights, I immediately thought of buying the space above a building. So I, I was thinking AIR rights, not HEIR rights. So I was a little confused when you started talking. I was waiting for you to say, and we bought the space above the properties. Oh, and, yeah. But then you kept talking. I was like, oh, she's talking about air rights, H-E-I-R rights. So yeah, I that's it. my bad. I should have clarified. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That's the English language is bad. <laughs> so let's talk about the 12-unit apartment building. Do you still own it? Yes. In fact, that was a more recent acquisition. Okay. What'd you buy it for and how'd you find it and what's the business plan? Oh, wow. Great. I didn't find it. We have a fellow investor that we are working with in the Midwest. And he found it by networking with people, I believe, in the local market. And in fact, he's somebody that you've interviewed before, Michael Beeman. Oh, cool. So we heard Mike on one of your podcasts, and then we reached out to him, and we started a relationship because he's working in a market where dollars go further than they do for us in the Oregon market. So we're actually starting to shift our dollars out of the Oregon market and into other markets. So this particular property was an off-market deal. Basically kind of think of it like he was a worn out landlord. So I actually never met him. The acquisition was done completely with Michael making the connection. And it's one of the things I love about podcasts is what you can learn in the relationships that you can build from people that are willing to share and then be approachable. So we acquired it as business partners with Mike. We own 70% of it. I think we bought it for $315,000. Okay. And I believe before we even closed on it, somebody had offered us 450000 and we said no at the time. So intention is to hold it and get the rents up a little bit more. It was a under market property. The rents weren't sure. at market rate. And on that one, we're looking to refinance out, but keep the asset in, I believe, 12 to 18 months after it's stabilized and we can prove that with a bank. Okay. How do you structure that type of arrangement? Because it sounds like you are more of the money person and Michael is more of the on the ground person overseeing it. I might have that wrong, but from how you described it, it sounds like that's the structure. Is that correct? That is correct. Michael's a full-time real estate investor, so myself and my husband here in the Oregon market. So from a perspective of having the dollars to move into other markets, with that, we have the controlling interest at 70%. And I am making decisions not on the ground, that would be Mike and his team, but he has the contractors and the property management in place. And that was a vital part of why we were able to move forward. Cool. And the 147 unit, will you tell us about that one? There's not as much to tell on that. <laughs> that one is a syndicated deal that I did not do the syndication. So my husband and I believe in having lots of different buckets. So we took monies from our traditional 401k checking account and we invested it in a syndicated deal so that we okay. could 
reap the benefits of that. So we get quarterly payments. And much like how you do your syndications, we're working the bucket. I call them buckets anyway, but the deal engineering that creates the monthly cash flow and then the buckets that are looking for the long-term wealth that are in our retirement. So the syndicated and the quarterly payments on that 147 unit is part of the retirement. I don't touch any of that money. Sure. So you're a limited partner on the 147 unit. What gave you the comfort to invest with the general partner? Excellent question. They're an educator. They are really conservative with their numbers and we had a relationship. We've had a relationship with them already for several years and my husband and I have always surrounded ourselves with people that are mentors or coaches. So we always have a mentor or coach and then sometimes we grow beyond what they're teaching us and then we'll pivot into a new mentor or coach. And one of our mentors in the past that we still have a really tight relationship with had made this recommendation to this particular person and then they have an education system. And so because we'd had a relationship there already, I think for me, I'm very relationship driven. It's how I do everything. So it was based in a relationship and then I like to be more conservative with numbers. So this particular investor in syndication came with a lot of due diligence and thoughtfulness and also not promising me the moon. You flipped over 24 houses with those flips or any other deal that you've done, just looking at all the deals, what deal have you lost the most amount of money on and how much was it? I would say the deal that we lost the most amount of money on is a time that we put $25,000 of earnest money down on a property that was just close to a million dollars. And I thought anytime you put earnest money down, you cannot possibly ever lose it so long as you back out inside of an inspection period. Well, I was wrong. So we borrowed the $25,000 from a hard money lender and we backed out in the inspection period And as it turns out, the owner contested it and we spent $15,000 litigating it. And I still owed the hard money lender payments on a monthly basis. And I think it took us six to eight months. So yeah, that was a hard lesson learned. That's the most. So yeah, that's the most I've ever lost. I think for round numbers, it was around $15,000 out of the original 25. Okay. Got it. That's pretty good, I would say, for doing all those flips. Yeah, that's the most that we've lost so far. Cool. In fact, we don't typically lose. That's, I think that's about the only time. I think our first deal, we didn't make any money. On our first rehab, we didn't make any money, but we also didn't lose any money. What are some things that you do differently on a flip from the first deal to the most recent deal? I would say... You make your money when you buy. I'm not a speculative investor. And no matter if the market is up or if the market is down, I firmly believe you make your money from the day you've bought it. So I know that when I purchase a property that I could turn around and I could wholesale it the next day within hours, I could sell it and assign the contract that I'm always making my money when I buy, even it's a dog property, no matter what. Mm hmm when you take a look at all the deals that you're involved in, which one's your favorite and why? Wow. You asked some really good questions. (laughs) I would say maybe one of my favorite deals, also an extremely challenging deal, was a deal that we did three years ago, I think. It was a multi-generational home. So this family for three generations had lived in this home. 
and it was a hoarder house. It had liens and it had tax liens. So it had both kinds of liens. And I spent hours and hours negotiating the deal with the family members that were there kind of yelling and screaming at each other. And I'm sitting on a couch in a living room, if you can imagine, and there's not very much room and space for people to move around. And I got the contract. And when I got home and spoke to my title company, they said that I hadn't negotiated it high enough and I needed to go back and get it for higher to include more of the debt that I didn't realize was there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I have the wherewithal to go back and renegotiate it. Long story short, I think we ended up making about $282,000 and I spent $30,000 rehabbing it. So the reason that was really significant to me is because that particular property being a hoarder property, it was all about the relationships. And I went over there for several weekends for months and months on end, trying to get them to focus on getting rid of stuff so we could get them out of the house. And it was a pivotal moment for me, Joe, when I realized that I needed to focus on what they were gaining instead of what they were losing. So I helped them acquire, not purchase, but helped them go and rent another house. And that was a very defining moment when I could focus on the people and what they were going to and knowing that I was on their side because they were able to let go. I mean, the day they drove out of the driveway, I was there and they gave me this house. There was no key to the house. And I had probably two 40 yard dumpsters plus a bunch of trucks that had to haul stuff away. But they felt really happy mm-hmm. about the experience because they had something new to look forward to. And they knew the things they were taking were going to allow them to be in their new home and be unburdened by the process. And that for me is pivotal, focusing on what's a win-win, even if there's a large spread of cash in it. It's a powerful insight. When you take a look at your investing to date and you think about some advice that you would give, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Focus on relationships. I feel like being a woman and being in a man's world, because I really find that a lot of this is being in a man's world, But when I focus on being empathetic and sympathetic and listening to the sellers and what they really need, if I'm able to always keep that in mind and have compassion for them, the dollars always work themselves out. I really never focus on the dollars, though I make some good spreads of cash. It's always about being in relationship. And I've been in relationship my whole life. And those relationships always lead to opening up doors later. So I'm not sure if that's specific enough, Joe, but I would say focus on relationships and focus on really being with people and always doing right by people, no matter what, always do right, even if it means not buying their property and helping them find the right person that can buy their property. It's being relationship focused. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right. First quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference. BEC20.com. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at 
www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N.com forward slash show. Best ever book you've recently read? You are a badass at making money with Jen Sincero. I think it's incredibly important to have a relationship with dollars to know that it's free flowing and I carry a hundred dollar bill in my wallet at all times and I don't cash it because I look at it and I open my wallet with joy knowing I have money and money loves me. At first I thought you were giving me a compliment and I was about to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? I like to share what I know and give it away freely. I like to mentor people in small ways when they are trying to figure out how to do creative deal engineering and cheerlead people at all times, no matter what. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? I would say right now, email me. If I've barked somebody's interest and they want to know more, reach out to me. I'm happy to share. Cool. And you gave your email address to me earlier, so I'll include that in the show notes. Amy, thank you for sharing your experiences and some very interesting ones with the air rights, H-E-I-R rights, and talking about how you've done that four times now. Also, very powerful insight when you're going through a transaction and someone's at a different income level or just place in their life than you. And it's thinking about what are they gaining, not necessarily losing through this certainly can put things in perspective and also thanks for talking about the owner carry example with the mobile home we covered a lot of stuff in a short amount of time oh, yeah. yes I, we did yeah i appreciate that so amy thanks for being on the show really grateful for our conversation hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon thank you so much joe i really appreciate it it was fun are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom the Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N.com forward slash show. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com.